This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom Dioria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom Dioria. Welcome to my Tech Talk. It's the first Sunday in November, the first Sunday of daylight savings time ending for those of us in those states other than Arizona that had daylight savings time. We're still on at 3 p.m. in Arizona. And we're live from our New York offices. The marathon's going on today. Um, we're going to touch on uh, security today is the topic of our uh, show. We're going to talk about hackers um, and uh, want to reach out to uh, all those affected by the uh, attack in uh Los Angeles at the airport on Friday. Our guest is going to be uh, Michael Sutton, and he's going to talk to us, as I said, about hackers' tools. And uh, I'm Tom Diori. I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated. And together with our weekly guest, our show will help our listeners, whether business or home technology users, make a better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, Tech Talk provides you the review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with an increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this through an industry-wide report, which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software equipment, or new contract opportunities. One or more guests followed us from many aspects of business and industry. And if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can send your e- suggestions to TechTalk, that's T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K, at imi-us.com. We'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send us an email message with questions on today's topic or anything else that we might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369. And if you're outside the 602 listening area, call us toll-free at 1-866-536-1100. You can send us email questions at that email address I just gave you, techtalk at imi-us.com. Monitor that throughout the show. We'll try and get the questions on today's show. But if we don't, then um, we'll follow up with you during the week and maybe get some of the questions on next week. We're also being simulcast on the web, so if you want to listen to us live and you can't get to your radio, uh, you can go on to KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. You can hear us live. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, you can go to um, our website, which is imi-us.com. In the upper right-hand corner is the Tech Talk button. Click on that. All the shows are archived. You can download them, send them to your friends, listen to them as many times as you want. It's free, so please take advantage of that. And please call any time during the show, and we'll try and get you on as quickly as possible. Uh, the first segment is our Week in Review. It's your increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world. It's compiled by Dave Brandon, Dan Dioria, and Jose Batista. Got a lot of stuff to tell you about today. First, we're going to go to bottom line personal, November's checklist. Um, hopefully, you've, uh, if you're not in Arizona, already uh, changed your clock back an hour. Uh, also, check health plan rankings during open enrollment. Uh, this is different than Obamacare, which, as I mentioned to you last week, uh, we're going to we're still doing research on it, so we don't want to be premature, and especially since a lot of the problems appear to be related to Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act itself, um, even though everybody involved in this design and, and build of, of the system should be fired or in jail. Um, 
but before changing insurers, Kamea scores on customer satisfaction, prevention, and treatment from the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Their website is healthplanrankings.ncqa.org. Honor our veterans. Participate in the Library of Congress project to record veterans' memories. Go to loc.gov backslash vets backslash kitmenu.html. Pay it forward. Bring extra Halloween candy to participating dentists for shipment to troops overseas. Uh, that's a, this is a great thing. We've got a lot of extra holiday candy. Uh, go to HalloweenCandyBuyBack.com. I'm not sure they actually buy it back. It should be bring back. But And then shave the date on November 1st, which was Friday. If you started growing a mustache to raise money for men's health, information is U.S. Move Ember, M-O-V-E-M-B-E-R dot com. Government safety rules are changing to let airline passengers most electronic devices from gate to gate, but not to make cell phone calls. The change will let passengers read, work, play games, watch movies, and listen to music. Cell phone calls will still be prohibited. The Federal Aviation Administration says airlines can allow passengers to use the devices during takeoff and landings on planes that meet certain criteria for protecting aircraft systems from electrical interference, which they still haven't proven is the case. Uh, most new airlines are expected to meet their criteria, but changes won't happen immediately. Timing will depend on the airline. Connections to the Internet to surf, exchange emails, or text download data will still be prohibited below 10,000 feet, Heavier devices like laptops will have to be stowed. That's for protection so it's not flying around if you hit turbulence. Passengers will be told to switch their smartphones, tablets, and other devices to airplane mode for any use except calls. The travel industry group welcomed the changes, calling them common sense accommodations for the traveling public now, bustling with technology. We'll just leave it at that. Here's a very interesting thing that we, uh, <laughs> that we found uh, in news.com. Uh, police are now able to shoot a tracker from the front of their car onto the trunk of a suspect's vehicle to stop them getting away. Now, it doesn't have a long string on it that you attach to the police car and then they pull it back. The technology reduces the need for police pursuits, uh, which can be dangerous, deadly, and futile in some cases. All police, all police have to do, you have to be pretty good at this, I would think, is hit a button inside their vehicle and a lid pops up from the car's grill and a tracking bullet shoots out and sticks to the car in front of them. I wonder how many times you've got to shoot it before it hits it, but if you had told me, uh, this is a quote now, if you had told me 16 years ago that I would have a cannon on front of my car, I wouldn't believe it. That's an Iowa State Patrol Trooper, Tim Sealman. Um, it was a quote to the Des Moines Registrist. Silman said that it was able to use this technology only last week during a pursuit in western Iowa. There's nobody in western Iowa. Anyway, I was able to take a vehicle and back completely off the chase, he said. We shut it down, tracked him over into Omaha. After they think the officer has disengaged, they back down to normal speeds to blend in with traffic so they don't get noticed again. The police fleet in Iowa only has one vehicle equipped with the technology larger because it costs $5,000, and each round is $500. However, there are plans. They should have this in L.A. where they do these high-speed chases with helicopters all the time. However, there are plans to install the technology into five more cars very soon. The Iowa State Patrol is involved in 87 pursuits between October 
2012 and October 2013. So that's pretty interesting. Uh, I would suggest if you want to see more about this, and they even have a film on their website, go to news.com.au. Okay, Consumers, Consumer Reports uh, did a review, and this is we did a show on this the way back, free TV, so you don't have to get stuck to table or cable or satellites. You know, old rabbit ear antennas, well, they've gotten a lot more sophisticated, and they reviewed them, and the one that comes out on... Uh, Let's see. Well, it doesn't exactly rate them, but they reviewed them. And here are the alphabetical listings of these. It's Antennas Direct. It's amplified, I'm told, by uh, my friends and colleagues. You need to get it amplified. It costs $60. So the price goes anywhere from 80 down to $10. Um, but if you go to places like Radio Shack and stuff, I'm sure they'll be able to... To help you with it, obviously, the key here is to uh, be in an area where you can get some type of, of reception. Emergency sites, where to go online. This is also from Consumer Reports. Uh, this is the October issue. Um, here's how to stay connected to late-breaking news and other essential data. All apps listed are compatible with the iPhone, iPod Touch, and iPad. Federal Emergency Management Agency, ready.gov, American Red Cross, redcross.org, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, noaa.gov, and it has a weather.gov website, which hosts weather alerts searchable by zip code. Federal Alliance for Safe Homes, flash.org, uh, we've covered a couple of their conferences. Uh, their website is flash.org, and Gas Buddy which is GasBuddy.com. The site helps users find working stations after Superstorm Sandy. It's free. GasBuddy app lists stations by proximity and price. Okay. I think we're going to take a break now, and uh, we're going to get to our guest. We're going to talk to you about hackers, tools of the trade. Our guest is going to be Michael Sutton. So please stay tuned. I'm Tom DiOrio on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's the 3rd of November, 2013. The year's almost over. My goodness. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's Sunday, November 3rd. It's the first uh, Sunday of November. And um, no more daylight savings time. And as I mentioned to you before the break, uh, we're going to have a very interesting show for you today. We're going to talk to you about hackers' tools of the trade. Our guest is Michael Sutton. He's an experienced security executive with a history of delivering pragmatic insight into security issues and developing solutions to address them with leading organizations, including HP, Hewlett Packard, SPI Dynamics, VeriSign, and iDefense. As Zscaler's Vice President of Security Research, uh, Michael leads Zscaler Threat Lab Z, the security research team responsible for researching emerging, emerging topics in web security and developing innovative security controls. Michael is regularly taped by the press for his tapped by the press for his security expertise on cybercrime and beyond, and has appeared on, in USA Today. 
Bloomberg, Business Week, Fox News, one of our favorites, and numerous security magazines. So, Michael, we feel honored to have you on our show with that long list of uh, credits. Thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate the opportunity. Now, we're talking about, let's start at the beginning here. Why don't you define a hacker for us? Because there's, from my recollection, two definitions. There are good hackers and then there are bad hackers. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you look at the historical definition of hacker, that's actually very the term someone that likes to tinker, tear things apart, figure out how they work. Certainly doesn't have the negative connotations that we place with it today. But, you know, today, hacker is more a negative view. I, I think a attacker is actually a more accurate description. But, yes, now we're referring to that individual that means us no no good. They're trying to steal our data. They're trying to get our credit card information. They're, they're trying to cause us problems and, and benefiting as a result of that. Now, uh, when we first started worrying about these types of threats many years ago uh, relating to PCs when, when they came into their own, uh, we never really thought about there being a threat for smartphones and tablets, which are now really pervasive. Is it now the same as the PC? Are people hacking into both of those? Mobile devices are, are definitely a target. Um, it's still from an attack perspective in its relative infancy, um, there's plenty of room for both the attackers and the defenders to grow. But what we are seeing is that the PC world is very, very different than the, the tablet smartphone world. I mean, very different ecosystem PCs. We just installed whatever we wanted. We put a disk drive in or a, a CD in or a drive. And, you know, so malware could come from a lot of different sources. And in theory, mobile should be more secure because we have these official app stores that vet things before they're installed. What we're seeing is that's not necessarily the case, though. Okay. So, I mean, is it, I guess, and we can get to this later in the show, but we've also, I guess, been under the false premise that uh, if you have a Mac, you're safe. That's not the case anymore, mm -hmm. is it? We definitely still see more malware on the PC side, and it's not so much that Macs are immune, PCs are not. I mean, Macs are absolutely vulnerable to attack. Um, there are some differences in, the, in just the way the operating systems work that make it harder to exploit, but a lot of the reasoning behind the fact that we see a lot more malware on the PC side is more just that's the viable attack target. I mean, still, even with Apple's success, right, the vastity of the laptop desktop world is Windows-based. Um, if I'm an attacker and I'm going to put the effort into creating an attack, uh, I'm, I'm more likely to put my efforts there because I'm going to have 80 90% of the market. Um, but, yeah, certainly OSX is not immune to attack. I gather the way this uh, works, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's hard to predict what an attacker or a hacker is going to do. So are they usually one step ahead of those that are tracking them and try to trying to thwart their their efforts I gather they're very adaptive is that true yeah absolutely and in many ways they really have the upper hand you know if you're a, a company or an individual that's trying to defend against attack well your job is to protect against any scenario and of course the attackers all they need is one weak link in the security chain and they can get in. And attackers are also 
they're, they're unencumbered. They can uh, change their techniques literally from today to tomorrow, you know, contrast that with, let's say, some big company and they decide that they want to push out a new web browser because that's more secure. Well, they've got to update hundreds or thousands of desktops. Maybe that breaks a lot of software that they have. And even in the consumer space, you know, I've become comfortable with something. I don't want to change. Um, my, my, you know, number one goal isn't security. It's just doing what I do, surfing the web. So, yeah, the attackers are far more agile and, and really have the upper hand. It almost seems like... Uh... Any other security threat, whether it be this or physical security, you know, it's hard to protect against 100% of the things that people can think of in their mind. I mean, you can go back to what happened at LAX on Friday, and, mm -hmm. you know, I'm sure they do lots of drills, and, you know, who expects a guy to come running up an escalator with an automatic weapon? So I know typical is a bad word to use in this type of an arena, but is there a typical scenario for uh, an attack? Sure. I'd say we could put attacks really into a couple of different buckets. Um, typically, there, there are sort of the technical attacks, and then there are the social engineering attacks. Let's start on that first one. So most most of the technical attacks that are, that are taking advantage of some sort of vulnerability are occurring because there's a known vulnerability. There may even be a patch for it, and but unfortunately, people aren't always that good about making sure that their systems have the most up-to-date software, and the attackers know that, and they take advantage of it. So they will plant malware often on a perfectly legitimate site. You know, it's a site that you've gone to and trust, but they had some weakness, and so the attacker had an ability to inject some malware there, so the next time you visit, you get attacked. And the most typical scenario is we actually find that browser plugins are the culprit, um, you know, so you have allow things like Java and Flash and Adobe Reader to run. Um, those things have had a lot of vulnerabilities, and, and the plugins tend to actually be quite out of date. People are not good at updating that, um, and that tends to be where the attackers target. And, and then on the social engineering front, there may be no technical vulnerability whatsoever, you are just tricked into installing the malware. A really common scenario, you go to a page, it says, hey, here's a video you want to see, but you got to be running the latest version of the video player or Flash or whatever it's purporting to be. And we're, you know, it's like uh, Pavlov's dog. You know, we're just trained that we hear that <laughs> bell and we, we react. And so we say, oh, yeah, yeah, I got to up, update my Flash. I, I, I understand that. But, you know, what we're doing is we're we're not updating some official patch, we're installing the malware that they've fed us and they've just tricked us into doing it. So those are two very common scenarios. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. Um, I'd like to ask you uh, what you would recommend to our listeners to protect themselves. I mean, obviously, on the, the latter example you gave, you should try, and I don't know what that means, so hopefully you can, you can help me out here, um, try to be a little bit more attentive when that type of thing pops up and you just click on OK and then it goes off and does its thing. Um, but this is Tom DiOrio on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. Uh, we're talking uh, to Michael Sutton from Zscaler about Hackers Tools of the Trade. It's Sunday, the 3rd of November, 2013. We're going to take a break. Please stay tuned.
Welcome back to IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria, and uh, it's the 3rd of November, 2013, and uh, hopefully you're listening to our first segment. We've got Michael Sutton from Zscaler on the uh, line here, and we're talking about hackers, tools of the trade. And uh, before the break, he was giving us two scenarios uh, for attacks, but uh, before we get back to that... Uh, my producer's yelling at me here, Michael. Uh, tell us a little bit about Zscaler, uh, what the website is, and uh, how people can get in touch with you if they want to follow up. Yeah, absolutely. So so we are a company that has built a cloud-based platform for end-user web security. where We focus on uh, corporations, the idea being rather than just letting your end-users go directly to the web, they're going through our cloud, which is all over the world. And, and in doing so, that create sort of a checkpoint that as you surf to that page that maybe it's hosting some malware, we have the opportunity to inspect it and, and block it so that it doesn't infect you in the first place. And by doing it as a cloud-based system, we don't care where you are in the world. We don't care if you're on a smartphone, tablet, laptop. As long as it goes through our cloud, we can still protect you. Um, and yeah, if you're interested, I'd encourage you to go to zscaler.com, Z-S-C-A-L-E-R.com. Take a look at it and you can reach out to us there. Now, are you hosting uh, your customers, or do they just pass through you before they get out to the web? They pass through us. It's, you know, we're kind of invisible to the end user, and that's the way we try to keep it. Um, we just sit between their browser and whatever web page they're going to. They don't even really see us there, but, you know, if they happen to go to a site and get tricked into downloading that fake version of a flash player, um, you know, we'll see that. We'll say, hey, this isn't the real one. You know, stop it before it ever gets to their browser in the first place. So that's a good segue back to what we were talking about in the last segment. In addition to using Zscaler to protect me, how do I protect myself if uh, I'm not paying attention? Just like it says, did you read the agreement? Nobody ever reads the agreements. How do you make sure it's the real website? Right. So, you know, you need to be very vigilant. You know, don't assume things. Uh, first and foremost, you want to make sure that your system is up to date because, hey, we can all be tricked. You know, it's it's even the best of us can uh, be tricked into downloading something. And, and maybe no matter what we would have done, we would have been attacked because there was something vulnerable in our system and we were going to a perfectly legitimate site. So we didn't do anything wrong. We can always get attacked. So first and foremost, make sure those systems are up to date um, if if the software or the operating system has the ability to do automatic updates, definitely enable that kind of feature because literally patches come out daily and you want to make sure you're up to date. Beyond that, make sure you're using the, the latest version. You know, most of us kind of upgrade to that new version of the latest browser just to get the cool whiz-bang features, but we may not realize that beyond that, new versions often implement new uh, advanced security features and, and by upgrading, you're actually taking advantage of that. Um, and then one more really important piece, I mentioned that most of the technical attacks that we see are tend to target the browser plugins, things like Java or Flash. Um, if you don't need those, disable them. And the web is really starting to move away from that. Like most people actually probably don't need Java installed in their browser, uh, may not need some other things. So, so disable it if you don't need it and, and definitely make sure that it's up to date um, if, you do, if you do need to uh, have it. Is that an easy thing to do? Just go to Java, find um, Java on your machine and say disable? 
It's not as hard as it used to be, and Java really is the big culprit. We've got a lot of vulnerabilities in Java, and many uh, software developers have actually moved away from Java, especially websites, because um, we have other uh, other technologies like HTML5 that can give us the same capabilities. So um, for if you're on a Mac or a PC, if you go into your settings, there is now a Java icon in there. You can go in there. You can disable it. The one thing that I would recommend, you don't have to shut it off completely. You don't have to remove it. There will be a setting in there that says uh, disable browser access, and that's actually the most important thing you can do because that way you can still have it so that if you need to run it, it's there. But if you just land on a website and it has some Java applet, it's not automatically going to kick in, and that's where most of these drive-by downloads occur. So that's actually a really important setting. Okay, and then the first method that you mentioned uh, in the last segment was somebody breaking into, um, I guess, somebody else's website that uh, may have a a vulnerability, and then when you go there, it throws the stuff on your machine. Is there any way to protect against that? Yeah. You know, certainly you want to make sure that you have things like antivirus installed. That's still important, although one myth that most people don't realize is that antivirus alone really isn't going to protect you. It's going to get the low-hanging fruit, but it's not going to get everything. Uh, but doing things like using the most up-to-date and modern browser, the, the, the current browsers, and it really doesn't matter, Internet Explorer, Chrome, Firefox, um, they all have adopted most of the same features, things to prevent malware from escaping the browser. They have blacklists to um, to cordon off sites once they're known to be malicious. So, so using the latest up-to-date browsers and sec- turning on all possible security features is very important. Um, so, you know, you want to do things like that. But yeah, just having AV and thinking you can kind of surf wherever you want—that's a, a recipe for getting infected. So, what is APT? It's something we hear about more and more in the media. It really kind of came into the media spotlight a couple years back when Google came forward and admitted to a pretty sophisticated hacking attack. Um, And it came from the Chinese, and they were very open about pointing fingers at the Chinese government and how they may have participated. And so it, it ruffled a lot of feathers. But it really brought to the surface these much more advanced attacks that companies really had been very uncomfortable talking about because no company wants to admit that they've become, you know, a victim of an attack. They think it's going to hurt their reputation. So uh, a really positive thing was that this became something that we started to talk openly about and realize that this is a real threat. The, The term, though, has been kind of abused, and I think Today, the media tends to refer to just any kind of advanced attack as an APT. Um, an APT is something very specific. I mean, this is not you just coming encountering a piece of malware in your machine getting infected. This is typically either an organized criminal group um, or a nation state that is conducting attack. an attack. Um, it is the sort of attack that is measured in months and years, not days and weeks. Um, they're using whatever is at their disposal. Like I mentioned before, we see technical attacks. We see social engineering attacks. It would encompass all of that. It would get into what we call zero days or um, attacks that we've just never seen before. They're brand new. 
and um, and the goals of the attack would be very specific. If it's an organized criminal group, typically there is a financial motivation. They're looking to either directly extract money or at least gather information that will allow them to ultimately make a profit. And then on the nation-state side, that's going to be um, foreign governments or groups affiliated with them. And typically, they're not after money so much. They're after after anything that's going to help them with national security, so help their military interests, or often what we see from the Asian countries, the Chinese hackers, what they're after is intellectual property, so that they can help help the economy and help you know create and clone products that may be made in the U.S. or elsewhere. That's interesting. That was the next topic I wanted to bring up: is what are they after? But we're going to take a break. This is Tom DiOrio on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's November 3rd, 2013, and we're talking to Michael Sutton about Hacker's Tools. And when we come back from the break, we're going to uh, continue this discussion and talk a little bit more about um, our privacy. So please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's Sunday, November 3rd, 2013, and the uh, marathon in New York is uh, wrapping up, hopefully. And uh, we're talking to uh, Michael Sutton um, from Zscaler, and uh, we'll ask him about that one more time before before we wrap up. I'm Tom DiOrio, and we're on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. And before the break, we were talking about what hackers are after, and one of the things that um, Michael mentioned was access to uh, financial records and getting money from us, but also just basic informa- or in- information about us, which they can use for whatever reasons, and also government spying on governments and government spying on its citizens. And talk to us a little bit about that and do the same admonitions or or suggestions apply to how we protect ourselves from having our privacy uh, compromised? You know, there's certainly been no, no shortage of that in the news as of late. You know, all the, the revelations from um, what Edward Snowden has been revealing, we, we've learned a lot more than we certainly knew, and it's we realize it's not only foreign governments, it's friendly governments. You know, the reality is... Uh, this is the job of the intelligence services, is to gather as much information as they uh, can legally do. Right, so. and it's been going on, um, I don't want to say long before computers, but probably long before computers. Right, yeah, and, and we've just sort of taken that, that physical world of spying and we've moved it into the digital age. And um, in, in many ways, there's actually advantages to the intel agencies because, you know, you can gather literally millions of records at once. But... Um, you know, and, and some people are say, "Hey, that, that we're okay with that. That's done in the interest of national security." And some people are on the other side and say, "Hey, you know, I, I'm really uncomfortable with the privacy implications." So, you know, let's focus on that. That you know, you're uncomfortable and you, you want to, you don't like the fact that someone, friend or foe, may be uh, listening to your conversations. But, you know, the bad news is there's really no perfect way to do it. I mean, there, there's no way to be 100% comfortable, but there are certainly steps that you can take. Um, encryption is really your best weapon of of defense in this situation, and, and encryption just meaning that data is 
mathematically uh, you know packed together in a way that it can't be uh, deciphered by anyone that's uh, outside of the conversation. Um, and the simplest way to do that is, you know, encryption is kind of built into the web and the way that it works. And I think the average citizen is uh, used to the fact that when you go to a website, sometimes you get that lock and key. That means that website is using encryption, specifically something called SSL. And so, you know, look for that. And a lot of websites now actually default to that, um, not just when you log in, but all of your traffic. Actually, Facebook defaults to that. Um, Google, most Google properties default to that. So, you know, you can leverage that. It's not perfect by any stretch. The article actually that came out recently that was talking about how the NSA was tapping into Google and Yahoo's data centers, um, they were actually tapping directly into the fiber to get around that. They were, they were tapping in at a point where they knew the messages would be decrypted. So even if you'd taken those steps, it wouldn't help. You, you can do encryption at a, at a file level. It's not necessarily for everybody. It takes a little bit of uh, technical savvy, but you know, if you were sending a file to someone, you could use certain tools to encrypt that. One very, very common and popular one is something called PGP, which just stands for pretty good privacy. Um, there's free tools out there. You know, if you're that concerned, you can you can look into things like that. Um, but you know, in the end, there is no perfect way to do it. You know, I, I think the best advice that I can give to someone is assume that others have the ability to to be listening to your conversations, phone conversations, email, and you know, just take that into account. Maybe there are things you're not comfortable discussing over a digital medium. Yeah, and just don't be a bad guy. Right, that's a good uh, piece of advice as well. I think you touched on this a little bit before, but I'd like to, uh, before we end the show today, and we still have a little time, um, you suggested that keeping your antivirus up to date is, is very important, but even with that, people's PCs get infected. What's a good way to disinfect them, and how do I know it's infected if I have an up-to-date browser? I mean, I guess that's the other part of the question. I mean, I'm doing everything right. I've got, you know... I automatically update the uh, the antivirus system. I run a scan every day. I run a full scan once a month. Is it going to catch the viruses and get rid of them? It's certainly going to help. You know, it, it, that's what it's there for. And unfortunately, sometimes the malware is designed to disable your antivirus. So if you do indeed get infected, it'll um, actually use something that's often referred to as a root kit that kind of sits below the antivirus and, and tricks you into thinking your AV is working just fine, and it's not. Um, that's a tricky problem. You know, the, ideally, you don't want to get infected in the first place. There, there are, however, tools that will actually um, inspect your computer even before it boots into the operating system. So it can go a layer below that and, and defeat the AV. I actually have a couple of friends who started a, a startup recently, and I'll give them a, a shout-out. Their, their company is called jumpshot.com. It's just a small entity that um, actually just recently got acquired. And, and that's exactly what that sort of solution is. Um, you can literally you plug a USB key into your machine. It boots into that scans your your machine at a very, very low level, and that's probably your best uh, opportunity to catch that sort of thing. And it's not a bad idea to use that sort of a approach, and they're certainly not the only one. Because, uh, yes, even AV can, can be defeated. Once you get infected, 
that machine's compromised. Really, the only surefire way to, to be comfortable that you're safe is to completely re-image that machine and start fresh, which most people aren't going to want to do. And how am I going to know if that's the case? Am I ever going to know? Only by running a, a tool like the one I'd mentioned, JumpShot, that you know can get to that level and, and uh, hopefully be able to tell you that you've uh, been infected. I mean, fortunately, most people, when they're infected with malware, um, it is not as sophisticated. It is something that if you're running regular AV scans, you're making sure that you're up to date is ultimately going to be caught. Now, are they targeting individuals more than companies, or is it equal, or companies targeted more, or don't they care to just throw a wide net? I'd say it depends on who the attackers are, and they all have sort of different motivations. I mentioned earlier in the show um, the, the very high end, the, the sophisticated groups, the APTs, that really have a very specific goal in mind, you know, that maybe they're targeting an oil and gas company because they want the blueprints to some intellectual property. That's a very specific thing and obviously not something the average end user needs to worry about. What the average end user needs to worry about is um, the attacks that, that are going to target them, not specifically because... The attackers after them, they're after something that they have that's going to, to help them. And for the most part, that's going to be either um, stealing uh, personally identifiable information, what we call PII, things like social security numbers, usernames, passwords, because they can make money off of that. They can either sell that to other hackers or they could leverage it in other attacks. Um, so that's valuable information for them. They may be after data that they can directly use, like a credit card number. Um, or the third thing that they're typically after is, is what I call CPU cycles. They, they just want to infect your machine because your machine's valuable to them. Now they pull it into a botnet, this big um, web of infected machines that gives them a very powerful computing platform, and they can use it for whatever they want. They could use it to flood a, a website and shut it down. They could use it to send spam. They could use it to uh, be scanning other websites for vulnerabilities. So it's typically one of those three things. They either want your PII, they want your credit card numbers, or they want uh, just to infect your machine to take advantage of it. Got a bunch of other questions I wanted to ask you, but we're out of time. This is a great show. Hopefully our listeners learned something. Uh, give us uh, your website one more time if our listeners want to follow up with you. Absolutely. It's uh, zscaler.com, Z-S-C-A-L-E-R. Great, Mike. Michael. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Next week you, we're again going to be live from our New York offices. And I want to thank uh, Terry Ruggiero, I'm Ice President, Dave Brandon, Dan Diori, and Jose Batista for the Week in Review. Taylor Redden's our producer, Matt Campagni is our executive producer. And from the production department of KFNX, Robert Bomback makes this all possible. Thanks again for listening, and please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week at 5 p.m. in New York on KFNX AM 1100. Remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to techtalk at imi-us.com. Have a great week, and thanks again for listening.